If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. My name is Rock Thomas. I'm the host of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life podcast. And you might be wondering, why do I do this every single week? Why do I interview people and talk about the importance of money? Well, I'm here to help you create financial freedom and fulfillment, the whole life millionaire. If you're working harder than ever before and not seeing any progress, you're not alone. If you don't have a supportive environment or network to raise your personal standards of success, you're not alone. But I would like to invite you to jump on a call with somebody on my team so you can change all of that. Just head over to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call and learn how you can take your life and business to the next level by being in the right environment, surrounded by the right people and with the right strategies. So go ahead, rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call, and let's start taking your life to the next level today. Today's guest has been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, Fox TV, Cheddar News, and more. His best-selling book, The Millennial Whisperer, was released in February 2019 and rode the charts to the top. His dynamic approach to attracting and motivating the next generation in their workplace is what we're going to talk about today. Hey, Chris, welcome to the podcast. I'm super stoked that you're here. I love your glasses. I am excited to be here. And uh, thanks for having me. I love that. So let's dive right into who you are, your history a little bit. I'd like to give it just a touch of background where you grew up, what happened and how did you get after 39 years to where you are? Sure. So I kind of fell into the digital and social media business uh, back when it was first being um, invented essentially uh, after 64 job interviews lucky 65 I got a job and I tell people like that was an a necessary thing for my own um, you know trajectory because it was uh, a way that I was able to finally harness a, at least some something close to my passion those first 64 weren't anywhere close to it and uh, I, I kind of made a name for myself by being one of the first guys to really work with uh, Zuckerberg and the crew over at Facebook um, on their marketing materials as they were going from colleges into the you know general public. And obviously, we know kind of the hockey stick growth that a lot of those companies have taken. And, uh, you know, it, it took a little bit of bouncing around from being a creative and doing a lot of different things that I finally found my niche about five years into this. It was about 2006 um, that I really started to dig in that uh, it was actually having one of the first viral videos of my me getting engaged to my wife um, right before YouTube, mind you. So I, got, uh, I put my engagement video online on ChristopherTuff.com. I was told that if I got a viral video, they'd give me my own department all around this social media, emerging media space. So By whom? Coming. Who told you that? Uh, the, the owner of our agency. And we had grown from about 13 to 400 employees very quickly. 
and uh, it created kind of this this opportunity and niche for myself. And uh, Good Morning America flew down after seven million views. We were on the Wall Street Journal, and you know I, I start my speeches that way. That was one of the first signs that I was really in my zone of passion. And when ridiculous things start to happen to you, and when um, you know I think passion, profession, uh, and purpose all collide, it's a beautiful and dangerous thing. Very nice. Yeah, and then so, you know, kind of fast forward, I've always been surrounded by young people. And uh, I think that I've seen so much both success with my teams, as well as um, my ability to grow things from scratch with being able to really motivate people in new ways. Um, And it was through that, that about 19 months ago, I was on an executive men's retreat, and I introduced myself. And my roles changed, evolved a lot. And I'm much more of a coach now. I'm much more of a servant leader now. And uh, I was like, you know what? As I was on this executive men's retreat surrounded by 14 guys I didn't really know, average age being 45, I said, I don't really know what I do anymore, but I'm kind of like the millennial whisperer. And then I went and shared my story. And these guys look at me and the guy leading it, Tommy Breedlove, who's a big speaker and coach who was leading this retreat, he kicks me by the fire. And I didn't know him at the time. He goes, you better write that book. And I was like, what book? He goes, the millennial whisper. And uh, then some of the other guys were like, yeah. So tell us about that, Chris. Like what types of stuff do you do with these millennials? Cause I can't stand them. I'm like, Oh, well, you know, I motivate them using this or, you know, and they're like, Oh my gosh. And it was about two weeks after that, I got some emails and calls from these guys. They're like, Chris, we started doing some of the things you were talking about and it works. It really works. And then, uh, so yeah, we wrote the book in seven months. We published about six months ago. We sold about 50,000 books and um, now I'm starting to do consultancies and I've built a separate consultancy within our agency and uh, it's off to the races. Man, that's so cool. You're just kind of like, the opportunities are coming to you, you're allowing them to be there, and then you're acting on them, which a lot of people, I think, they, they have these feelings of doubt when those things come along. How have you managed to lean into them and, and take action where a lot of other people hesitate until things are perfect? That's a great question. And, you know, it's not without its down points, right? And um, as my friend Tommy, so Tommy, who inspired the book, he wrote my the forward of the book. Um, he is also my executive coach. And uh, I go to him during those down points. So I think one, everyone's got to have someone that you can go to um, and hold you accountable to some of these things and gut check. Uh, And I say, you've got to be able to get butt naked with these people, you know, metaphorically. And, um, you know, Tommy has been that for me. And what he tells me is these things are muscles and it's all about reps and you got to be practicing these things. And and everything in life is built upon um, kind of gratitude, and will be built out of that. So you got to start flexing those things. And so for me, and having, I think, grown confidence through the years, it's, um, I think we live in a very unaccountable culture. And, you know, I think it's up to us as leaders to especially help teach this next generation accountability. And it's one thing saying, and it's another thing doing. And I walk the talk. And uh, one of the, I actually end all of my speeches saying, turn your let's into buy when. There's nothing worse than saying, let's write a book, you know, and then nothing happens. Right. Or let's get a bestseller. Let's do this. So instead, answer all of those with buy when. You see it even with 
grabbing coffee after. Yeah, yeah. Let's do lunch. Let's do lunch. Nothing happens. Right. So you answer all of that with by when. And it's with kind of that mindset as well as confidence um, that I know in the end that this thing will be a success. Uh, and the, we, the how I know that is it's, it's one of my friends early on in this process. He goes, it's just like you, you look at the statistics. It's like playing the poker game, right? So look at the statistics and use the statistics and the cards that you can see to make those decisions. And a lot of those big risks are behind me. Will this be a bestseller? Yes. Is there a market for it in the you know in, in large corporations? Yes. We've got like five massive engagements going on right now. So all those big ones are behind me. So now it's like let's double down on this and let's go. Um, and you know once again I I put it all on the line. I got a three hundred thousand dollar short term unsecured loan. I've got a family to support and. It's just with that, um, I think, confidence and some of these tools that I've learned along the way that I keep going forward. That's not to say that I don't have down points, because I do, but uh, I power through those. Well, I think, you know, we were talking before about working out, and it makes, uh, you know, so much sense. When you work out, what do you do is you push yourself beyond what you were before to break down the muscle so that the muscle gets a message. I've got to get stronger to come back for the new adversity that I'm going to face. Why do we not as humans understand that the adversity we are facing is basically the same metaphor? It's causing us to grow stronger. We, you know, so many people want easy path all the time instead of actually understanding that the obstacle is the way, the challenge is the gift, the problem is the opportunity. Why are people so hesitant for that? And I look at your I am statements here. I'm a connector and inspiration. I'm going to absolutely crush it today. I'm going to set out what I do. I'm successful today and in the moment. The best is yet to come. I mean, these are the words of somebody that's leaning in, moving forward, grabbing momentum. Well, the question I have for you is how did you get there? Because you don't stop at the you don't start at the top of the mountain. Everybody stop starts at the bottom. Sure. How did you get to this place of certainty? So I think, you know, and I start my book this way, The Millennial Whisperer, is uh, I start it with my rock bottom. And I think we've got to all understand what that rock bottom looks and feels like. And then also move from that rock bottom to take action. And it's funny, I've now, since writing the book, been surrounded by very influential people um, that have amazing stories. And um, for so one example being Colin O'Brady, and I don't know if you know Colin, but he was one of he's got five world records. He was one of the first people to uh, go across Antarctica, uh, unsupported, carrying a sled while also competing against a British gentleman, Paul Rudd, who he beat by basically powering through, not sleeping the final thirty six hours. And a lot of people will, you know, approach Colin and say, you know. How did you take the leap for this? You know, what was that kind of uh, the, the, the courage that it took to actually go out on this thing and do it? What, what's that look like? And what I get obsessed with is not that, but more when you were 11 days in and I saw you post on Instagram that you wanted to quit, where was it that you were channeling the energy? And so I focus on more of that rock bottom, that thing that you have to power before you bring it up. A, a good point, Rock. It's it's this it's this muscle that is breaking up, right? And it's at that moment that I get obs- I'm weirdly obsessed with it. So I, I was having dinner with Colin, and I asked him that, and you know what he said? It was the coolest thing. And uh, he goes, "Chris, 
it sounds crazy, but what I do in that moment is I put my arms out and I channel all of the good energy of everyone around me. And then I take a deep breath and I bring it all in. I take it, I take it and then I, and I throw it out into the world. And it's in that moment that I know I'm going to be good today. And, um, and I thought that was such you know, I got like chills when I was talking yeah. to him about it. He's so legit, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing is the opposite side of it that I'm also obsessed with is how do we not as individuals then set out to do the next adventure? And for Colin, I'm like, how are you not obsessed now? You, you did that. You got the world record. You were just on Ellen last week. Like, how are you not now setting out on that next thing? Because I think, you know, even with mine, like, I'm like, okay, the next book, the next thing. Yeah. And he said something also interesting. He was like, I actually see myself much more of an artist than I do a... Uh, performance athlete and so it's more about these things that I'm creating to put out the world for people to interpret it and I thought that was really interesting and so you ask me so you know what was it that got me to this confidence place and uh, for me it is I think understanding those rock bottom moments but then taking action on digging out and learning from them Um, and so it's, I think, constant iterations. And I think we go through times where you've got greater change and, and greater pain and suffering or whatever. But I focus much more on the light. I sign all of my books, the best is yet to come. I think, I mean, and that's what the book is all about. I think there's never been a better generation. I think the generation behind them is even better. But right. you know what? It takes us as leaders to help offset the things that are happening with this, right? Yeah. Like how do you have real connection with people when you have this in between them like that's something that they can get from us and there's something that we can get from them yeah tirade sorry no no it's it's awesome i love it um i mean i think i hear what you're saying is that every time we raise the lid of possibility we make it easier for the next generation to reach a little bit further if we just stay with the status quo and we don't improve ourselves and other things then it makes it harder for them if I, if I run a marathon and my kids see that, well, then maybe they're going to run an ultra marathon because yeah. dad can run a marathon, right? <laughs> so I get, what, I get what you're saying. I think the other thing that you pointed out that's worth mentioning is that there's this, this desire to achieve and succeed in life. And I think with social media, it's even more than ever. It's like post your best pictures when you're happy, yeah. et cetera. I think the part that, you have learned and some of the people that, that you mentioned learned is that when you're, when you're not succeeding, you're learning, your soul's growing, you're pushing up against the day when you feel like crap, but it really reveals who you are, what your character is. And if you can hunger for that, then you can take action all the time because you're either winning or you're learning about yourself and both of those are light. Both of those are a win. So mm-hmm. why not continue to take action and embrace the suck, as my good friend David Goggins says, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, uh, that, yeah, I mean, and, uh, um, that's, that's very, very true. And I think the other, and I just read Goggins' book, and I'm friends with um, Jesse, who, yeah, yeah I interviewed him. And yeah, Jesse is, uh, he's, a, he's, an he's a wild guy. badass. He is. And uh, I mean, what he's doing now is insane. He's doing last man. He's training for last man standing. Do you know what this is? No. So, uh, so uh, Jesse and his crew are are friends with, with me and um, we push each other all to our limits, but the last man standing 
is um, where they do a four mile loop and you have to finish that four mile loop under one hour and you keep going until you do it over an hour. And I think his goal is to do it for 30 hours. So 30 times four in a loop, 20. just running what? and going and going and going. And uh, do you like running? What's that? Do you like running? Yeah, I mean, not 130 miles. And really, I have a big, uh, I have a group of friends that just did, um, you know, the uh, the the big race out in Colorado, the hundred miler up yeah. the Leadville. And um, no, I have no that that's a little far. I'm a big kiteboarder, and I'm a big uh, mountain biker. And I, I mean, I'll do a, a marathon here and there, but yeah. I'm not doing the ultras yet. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a big runner. But I do like uh, I do like intensity and and uh, stuff like that. So, so tell me a little bit about how you have now taken this relationship you have with millennials, and in terms of an identity, they're coming out with millennials have an identity, the way they yeah. see themselves. Sure. Um, and there's a bit of a, a knock on them that they're lazy and they don't get connected unless they have a phone. Is that accurate? Would you say? So, yeah, I mean, I think there's elements of that accuracy, but, um, you know, I, I think it's up to us as leaders to help them with those things, right? And um, and that's actually what the next book will be about, is, is about all the things, like, how do you actually teach this next generation to network in a real way? How do you create connection? You know, I have rules that I set up, right? Um, where if you're in the same building as someone else on your team, uh, or just trying to communicate with someone, you're not allowed to IM them, you're not allowed to email them, and you're not allowed to text them. And so what you're gonna do is you're gonna get your ass out of your seat and you're gonna walk over to them and you're gonna talk to them face to face. And that is such an important thing because that is a muscle for them. If you think about the juxtaposition of how all of us, you know, Xers and boomers were raised, and I'm right on the cusp, but Think about all those, that muscle, right? That interpersonal muscle in order to communicate with someone else, like even just to flirt with someone in your class or to like, you know, go hang out with someone, you had to call their parents, right? That was one thing. Yeah, that was the first gatekeeper. And then, and then you had to get through to them. And then, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about like five interactions before you even get permission to walk over to that person's house to go flirt with them. So right? true. And, and then, gotta, and you got to be on the phone in the kitchen with everybody else listening, exactly. right? And then guess what? Now, what you know, these kids went through at age 13, they're giving them an iPhone with a Snapchat account and they're sitting on their backs in their bed flirting. Yeah. And so it's that juxtaposition. It's up to, I think, us as leaders to help institute some of these things so they can start growing those muscles. It's also why I introduced them to my 70 30 rule. And on their first day, I say, awesome, you made it through the gate. Like, that's a huge feat because not many people do that. And uh, I actually put people through a trial period of six weeks before I bring them on my team to make sure they're a culture fit. 20% succeed. And once they're there, I'm like, all right, so now we're going to talk about my 70-30 rule. 30% of your job is going to suck. 70% is going to fuel you up and fire you up. But 30% is going to suck. For me, it's anything in Excel and with numbers. And you know what? I have to do it. So what we're going to do is we're going to take your job description. We're going to put what's in your 30%, what's in your 70%. So when you're doing that 30%, for more than two days, or you know, maybe it might be a week, you can actually say to yourself, well, I'm breaking through the 70% on the other side. And I think we live in this world and we do it to ourselves where the grass is always greener on the other side because of social media. I call it the 
Pinterestation of a generation. And there's no better time to talk about it than the first day of school where all of our feeds are these perfect feeds. And it's got, you know, they're holding up the Abigail's first day in kindergarten and all. It's ridiculous, right? The grass isn't always greener on the other side. And the harsh reality is that 30% of your job is going to suck. 30% of life is difficult. And it's working through some of those things while also looking to this generation to help us with the stuff that we need, innovation, digital, you know, all of that will come. And it's funny because if you asked me five years ago, what's most important for corporations, small business, whatever it is, I would have told you like digital and innovation. And if you'd, if you asked me that same question today, it's how do we, it's actually more about how do we motivate and create a culture around empathy and connection and then through that, the right people will help you innovate and push ahead. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think Brenny Brown's work around empathy and uh, uh, the art of imperfection and all that is now very, very timely for a lot of people because people are hiding behind trying to be perfect and social media has propagated that. You mentioned at the beginning that you worked with uh, Zuckerberg. Tell me a little bit about that. I'm curious. So uh, 2006, uh, uh, we were one of the first we were the first brand to work with Facebook as they're expanding from colleges to the general public. And uh, I was working on behalf of Verizon. So we were one of the first five um, brands to work with Facebook. And so we helped them with some of their first products and some worked and some did not and had a big backlash to it. But, you know, back then he, you talk about creating a muscle and yeah, I think he gets a lot of flack for his interpersonal skills. But back then we shared a dinner together and he didn't say a word and was very introverted and awkward. And you look at now how far he's come with his own skills and sure it's not perfect yet, but that is in his 30%, I can guarantee you. Right. Back then, right. it definitely showed itself. But it was, it's, I, I'll also tell people that, you know, even my not so talented friends are millionaires now because there was a group of us that kind of grew up um, and we were so early to the game that they all were at the ground level. And, you know, you're talking about a massive amount of wealth that was created. And it's funny, it, one of the guys that, and he's actually one of the talented ones, but he was one of the first guys at Facebook and is also kind of a counselor slash coach to me. And I was going through some difficult periods here and he, um, just with my career and trying to figure out the balance of the book and so all this stuff. And, and he turned to me, he goes, Chris, don't make the same mistake that I made at Facebook, which was he had all this money and he went in there with what he calls his FU backpack. And because he had this built up kind of resentment and animosity and, you know, lack of respect and whatever. And he went in and he was like, you know what, I'm out of here. And he Jerry Maguire it. He was like, do not Jerry Maguire it. So <laughs> drop your FU backpack at the door and drop your feelings, take it in and be objective. And uh, with whatever it is that you're trying to work through, and, and it was actually with that, I love that metaphor of dropping your FU backpack at the door and allowing you to go in for that uh, embrace. But that's my quick kind of uh, Facebook. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Well, I think a lot of times people want to become wealthy so they have FU money mm -hmm. so that they can tell people what they feel that they've always wanted to tell them. And you and I were talking at the beginning of the show about, you know, what if, if everything meant nothing? You know, so he attached a meaning to whatever was going on, and then he felt he needed to take an action 
And often we regret some of those actions because they're so highly emotional and we weren't trained in school to have any emotional intelligence. We just feel that we were wronged or maybe because it reminds us, I mean, I was bullied as a kid and sometimes somebody reminds me of that in business and then I lash out in a way that is not mature because I'm that eight-year-old kid that wasn't included on you know, the football team or my brother stole my lunch and I feel left out and I respond the same way. So interesting that you say that. Totally. Um, does that mean that people that were around at that time bought some Facebook shares or got some piece of the action? Is that what you're referring to? Oh my gosh. And you should hear the stories. You know, the guy, the, the ones that were like the first hundred employees of Facebook, what would happen is they had their, they had options vest and then things accelerated so quickly that literally every like three weeks, those vested options would double. So I mean, everything happened in such a short period of time that it's, I mean, it's unlike anything I call it, you know, defining yeah. moments. And, right. you know, that was one of those defining moments. And obviously a lot of wealth was created, but these guys tell me these stories of their shares just doubling like every week. And what started is just like this, you know, you, you read about it, the, the chef, the first chef at Facebook, who was just, you know, a cook is retired now with yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars. So, yeah. So how did Facebook manage to not advertise for so long? I mean, they just kept on providing value for the consumer, the member or the utilizer. And then they only later, how were they able to hold off for so long? I think one thing that, and I still will give Facebook a lot of credit for um, this out there and following through. But if you go back to Zuck's first um, you know, when he was first building Facebook, it was to make the world a more connected place. And he stuck through with that all the way through and, and probably to, you know, some would interpret it too far. But I think it was actually with that strong purpose, um, as well as um, creating an environment and a culture that, you know, Silicon Valley hadn't even really seen before, like the right. idea of a chef, um, the, the, you know, really pampering his employees and you raise a ton of money. So he was able, able to put off a lot of that, um, I think, pressure that comes with being a publicly traded, you know, it's all about returns right now. And they were able to pivot their way to a place that made sense. But they also made a lot of mistakes, Rock. I mean, you know, they got a lot of backlash way early when we were working with them. And we got a lot of backlash for it. But, you know, I think it's a good metaphor for our own lives of, you know, constant iteration and, yeah. um, and actually taking the risk, doing things differently, looking back and, you know, there were banners that, you know, those little banner ads at the top, you know, uh, that, because then they sold everything through Microsoft, blah, blah, blah. And then they started to get to really being the innovators around social advertising, which is, um, you know, now rampant. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's that constant iteration. That so, has yeah, and that leads me into my next question is, in my book, I have uh, written about rule number 10, which is make it happen no matter what. And I believe that the ultimate confidence comes from the belief that you'll find a way. You don't need to know the way. You need to know you're resourceful enough to find a way. And therefore, you can step in. If you, you know, somebody says, hey, you want to play volleyball while you're on vacation? like you've never played before, but you know you can pay attention, you can learn, you can model, and you'll figure it out. And it can go for starting a business, writing a book, et cetera. A lot of people get stuck in the how. 
but they don't, I don't know how to write a book. I'm not an author. I, I can't, I'm dyslexic. I can't spell. No, 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 no. Instead of leaning into it, you say that you are incredibly resourceful and that you focus on being bigger than your obstacle. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think one of those things is understanding what you're good at and what you're not good at and outsource all the stuff that you're not good at. One of the best pieces of advice that I ever got was um, hire an expert for everything. And I've done that with this book. It's also why I put you know, over $300,000 into building this business because I've brought in experts for all the stuff that I don't understand. Uh, and you, you can probably tell by my train of thought in this interview, I'm all over the place. Like, I mean, can you imagine me writing a book? Well, we did it. And I brought in order to my chaos. And I think there is a, a lot to be said with um, our own ability, you know, outsourcing our inabilities, um, if you will. Um, you know, the other piece is you just can't stop. You can't. And it is all about repetition. I mean, I've had over, I think, 130 radio interviews uh, in the last six months. And some are, you know, to probably zero audience. But all of these things are necessary to creating these muscles and gaining that confidence and being, um, I think, uh, more articulate in your points. And I, my biggest piece of advice to anyone that is thinking about writing a book is write the book, but just make sure you're really passionate about it. <laughs> and um, because you're going to get burned out real quick if you're going to put it all out there. Um, and I, I just don't believe in doing things halfway. Uh, if you're going to do things halfway, then I mean, I go all in and then I pivot as I go. If I got, I'm a hundred percent in, if this book thing's not working, all right, on to the next. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of times it's that insecurity rock that makes us do that kind of hesitant halfway that is what doesn't allow us to really see the full potential. Um, so you just got to keep going and then pivot along the way, you know? I love it. I love it. So if people want to get in touch with you, they want to buy your book, they want to follow you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? So uh, uh, themillennialwhisperer.com um, is actually probably the best um, way of getting in touch with me. And I've learned in writing this book, millennial is a very difficult word to spell. There's two L's and two <laughs> N's. And so uh, we've actually created tmwhisperer.com. And then if you go to forward slash I am movement, we've got a splash page with, uh, where you can free, download a free first chapter of the book. Um, as well as do a millennial leadership assessment, which takes all the key things that millennials and this next generation is looking for out of their leaders. And you can take a self-assessment around that um, movement. Uh, we have that all set up. And the other thing, uh, you can get in touch with me on LinkedIn, uh, forward slash Christopher Tuff, or on Instagram at Tuff22, or at Millennial Whisperer. And uh, I, you know, I, I love meeting new people and uh, I think that you'll find that the book is, is very effective at making change happen where you need it most. That's awesome. Let me put you on the spot and ask you to describe yourself, your identity. Chris Tuft, I am. What would you say behind that? I am uh, an inspiration and a connector. Uh, my purpose is to inspire and connect. Everything follows that. Um, uh, I am doing it every single day. I think uh, actions speak a lot louder than words. And it's one thing saying it, it's another thing doing. So to me, 
Yeah, I, I sign all of my books, the best is yet to come. So I am optimistic. I am going to do it today. And I, I think that is uh, one of the key things is that optimistic and just doing it. And I would add to that, you're also cheerful, which is, I think, one of the greatest uh, human qualities you can have. You know, we're all balls of energy, and it's really great to see somebody and you go, okay, something's going on in that person's brain or body that I need to know a little bit about, and that's what I see when I look at you. So I want to remind our listeners that the words that follow I am follow you. So describe yourself with intention. You get to choose your voice is your choice, and you get to choose the words. So you might as well change the labels that are disempowering that were offered to you by your friends, your bullies, and even your parents or teachers that are not empowering and create ones that you can live into. Romance them until they become you. So again, Chris, thanks so much for hanging out with us. It was a treat. Yeah, thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. You got it. Thanks for listening to this episode. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to be Rock's private VIP mastermind guest. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.